Amen. Young people, you are dismissed. Let's take our Bibles this morning. Please turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15 this morning. Young people, let's quietly be dismissed, all right? Luke chapter 15 this morning. Let me, let me encourage you if you could, and um, it looks like we believe right now the funeral will be Wednesday for Spring Wilson, all right? I don't know the time yet, whether it'll be 11 a.m. or 1 p.m. We'll find that out in the next hour or so. Uh, the funeral home called last night and asked Larry to come to the funeral home this morning at 11 to make those arrangements. So he's there now, so I know he's not watching, so I'd like to give you a little challenge. Um, when they were talking about having a funeral, Spring said, don't have a funeral, nobody will come. And you can understand that when she's been sick for so long and away from church and feeling unconnected that you just kind of feel discouraged. And so uh, could we prove them wrong? And uh, let's just overwhelm them, all right? So could you come and just encourage Larry? And um, He's uh, very lonely and has been since she's been in the hospital, of course. And, and just let's, let's just overwhelm him with our presence. And I know some of you will have to work. I get that. It's a weekday. But if you at all are able to come, you so say, I don't really know them. It's still your church family. I got one amen for that too. That's your church family, all right? And uh, you say, well, listen, it's, uh, that's the thing. You'll, they'll never be your family unless you come support them and things like that. That's how you draw closer to them. I said to my wife a long time ago, I've learned this, uh, weddings are a fiasco. But funerals, that's when a pastor really can build a relationship with a family. Really can. Because at a wedding, they don't care what I say. Nobody cares what I say. They're not here. They're here to look at dresses, and they're here to look at the, you know, all the flowers and all those things. They don't care. What, but when there's a funeral and you can draw alongside somebody and encourage them, that's when you build family. And so it's in our sorrow. So I just encourage you, Wednesday, if at all possible, be here for Larry, be here for Roger, and just encourage them. And uh, they don't have, uh, this is Roger's last living blood relative. He doesn't have anybody else, no children, his wife died, his parents are gone. And so he needs you guys, and so does Larry, all right? So let's, let's overwhelm them on Wednesday. Luke chapter 15 this morning is a great passage. It's the story of the prodigal, perhaps and likely one of the most preached passages in the Bible. We all know the story. We can recite it. And uh, it, it was interesting. Uh, I, I feel like at Christmas time, I feel like I'm getting soft as a preacher. And it bugs me. And so you preach, you know, joyful and bells ringing and Christmas and birth and, and salvation and all these great themes. And they're Bible themes. There's nothing wrong with preaching about the God was made flesh and dwelt among us. It's wonderful. But uh, I'm a Baptist. And I got to preach on sin sometimes. And it was bugging me that, that Christmas was a month and, you know, there's all these things going. And I'm, so I've got, I had this message for the last several weeks from Judges, the book of Judges, about sin. And I thought, okay, finally, January 8th, I'm going to preach on sin. And the Lord spoke to my heart this week. And he said, you know, there's a funeral Saturday. There's going to be visitors perhaps from out of town. There's going to be people in church who are grieving and hurting. And then Friday, when I heard that spring had gone into intensive care, and I, and I, and I could see, you know, been around enough times that I kind of knew that it was very close. And I thought... Perhaps even by Sunday, she'll be with the Lord. And I hit the Lord, just rebuked my heart and said, 
Remember what the Apostle Paul said? That early on in his ministry, he came with harsh words, and he, and he says, but later on, he had to learn how to come as a nurse that cherisheth her children. And God rebuked my heart. So I laid in bed Friday night thinking, okay, Lord, what do you want me to preach? And I don't know why the prodigal son came to mind. When we think of the prodigal son, we think about reconciliation and we think about redemption. But the great thing about Scripture is that even though there's a clear message of Scripture and the Bible is of no private interpretation, and by the way, people like to twist that verse. They like to say, well, that's, that's what it means to you, but it's not of any private interpretation, so here's what it means to me. That's not what that Scripture says at all. It means you don't get to have a private interpretation. You don't get to decide what it means. God has already decided what it means. And it is not of private interpretation. It's not up to you to decide what God is saying. And so we know that the interpretation of the Scripture belongs to God, and His Holy Spirit speaks it to our hearts, and we understand what He is saying to us. But I also know this, that God reveals Himself in very many different ways through the Scripture. And one thing that jumps out at me from the story of the prodigal, and though we, we see this young man who wasted his life on riotous living and went off into a far-off country, there's one thing that we must never forget. There's a father of comfort. A father who cares. And so my points are very simple today. I only have two. I want you to think about what was lost, but I want you to think about what was found. When we think of this entire chapter of Luke chapter 15, we understand there's three parables being told, all three are about something lost. There's the, the story of the lost sheep, how the shepherd would leave the 90 and the 9 to find the one that was lost. And then we read the story of the lost coin, how the, the woman would sweep out everything in her house just to find that one coin. And now we read the story of the lost son, the prodigal. So let's read this morning Luke chapter 15 verse 11 and 32, and I want, to, I want to encourage your hearts today if I can. I, I, know was, I was confused as why the Lord would lay this passage on my heart when I was thinking about what would comfort people, and then he showed me. Verse 11, the Bible says, and he said, a certain man had two sons, and the youngest of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me, and he divided unto them his living. Not many days after, the younger son entered all together, or gathered all together, and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. How many of you could finish that verse as I started reading it? As soon as I get to the word wasted, you could say, his substance with riotous living. We've heard it so many times, and we villainize this young man. Well, let's be honest, a lot of our hearts are broken today because we have young people in our lives like this. And we're more apt to show compassion on our own than we are this young man. But let's read on. Wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed swine. And, would he, and he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have 
bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants." He arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, and he had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servant, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the Father of comfort. Lord, I pray that you'd help us today to to understand the, the scriptures. And Lord, we know this story. We know the applications we've heard time and time again. But I pray that you draw this application you've laid upon my heart out clearly today. Pray that you'd help us to see a little bit more about the Father, not just his his love, but his, his, his care, his concern, his compassion, and his comfort. So Lord, I pray that you'd fill me with thy spirit. I need your help today. And I pray that you'd speak to our hearts. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, the story of the prodigal is nothing new to us. But I want you to consider the prodigal from maybe a different perspective this morning. I want you to notice, first of all, what he lost. I'm not talking about the father, but from the father's perspective, he lost his son. Likely didn't know where he was. There was no email, phones, or Facebook to keep up with anybody. We have a son that lives in Saskatchewan. We have a son that lives in California We can talk to them anytime we want. We can see them online. How many of you know, or maybe maybe you've never heard about this, but I have a grandson. Have you heard about that? (laughs) I can see him on FaceTime. I can make him laugh on FaceTime. And though we are miles apart, we can still communicate. But that wasn't the case with the father and the son. And so as far as the father was concerned, he was lost. But I want you to moment, for a moment today, I want you to think about the son and what he lost. We are quick. We are quick to say, but he got what he deserved. These are the consequences of his actions. His behavior led to how he found himself. There's no excuse. I'm so glad my father didn't say that about me. But God commended his love toward me. While I was yet a sinner, Christ died for me. And though he may have been the author of his demise and the condition he found himself in, I want you to notice something I've never seen in Scripture before. That I want to say this, and and though unequivocally, listen, you are responsible for your choices. No doubt in my mind. But some things are out of our control. Notice what the scripture says about this young man. When we consider what he lost, 
The Bible says in verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey to a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Well, that doesn't paint a very good picture, does it? All kinds of things pop into our mind when we think of riotous living. You, you may have a very different perception. You look into your own past. You look into the, the past of your family and you say, this is how we used to be before we knew Christ. And this is what riotous living is. Maybe you've driven through downtown Simcoe and you've seen people passed out in front of the bars and you've seen people strung out on drugs and you, you've seen uh, of all the, in the news about all the wickedness that surrounds us. And you say, that's what riotous living is. And so we paint a picture in our minds of what this young man was involved in. Some of it might be true. A lot of it probably isn't. But certainly, the Bible says his life was on the rocks. But look at verse 14. I'd never really considered this before. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. The riotous living certainly was his fault. The famine wasn't. I think the Lord is showing us two sides here. There are a lot of people, and all we need to do is walk up Norfolk Street in Simcoe from north to south, and we'll see all kinds of people that have lived Saturday night in riotous living. They're just now straggling out of bed. They're just now hitting the streets looking for a coffee or that next fix. They're either trying to sober up or they're trying to forget what happened the night before. There are those that have lived riotously and they are going to have a a terrible day. They are going to live the consequences of their choices. There's also a lot of people who it wasn't their fault at all. There's a famine in the land. When I think of that word famine, I think there's, there's a lot of famines. There's a famine like throughout the 80s, we always heard about the famine in Ethiopia. You see the pictures on the news of children with bloated stomachs covered in flies and malnourished and not enough food for them to eat. And perhaps that's what this is talking about. When I think about a famine in our society, I think about the famine of the word of God. People lacking the very bread of life and the water of life that so desperately need to hear about the Lord Jesus Christ. And though they are living the consequences of their choices, perhaps they're also living the consequences of a church that doesn't care and tells them about the bread of life, about Jesus who loves them. I'm not putting that blame squarely on Bethel Baptist. I'm saying all of Christendom needs to do a better job in reaching the lost. There's a famine in the land, a famine of the word of God. I'm reminded of little Samuel at 10 years old in the temple, the Bible says, and the word of God was precious in those days. There was no open vision. He never knew the Lord, it says, because the Lord had not spoken in so long. Certainly he experienced a famine. And our world is no different today. I want to say that the young man that we call the prodigal is suffering 
because of his choices, but also because of a famine, something out of his control. I think there's a point to be made here that we each must understand. We need to be very careful when we judge somebody. Somebody walks through that door, and we don't know who they are. Perhaps they're dressed a little different. Perhaps they look a little different. And we immediately jump to the conclusion, oh, that guy's been doing drugs. That guy's made some bad choices. Here's the truth. We've all made bad choices. But maybe it's equally possible that they lost somebody they loved very much. And the depression and discouragement set in and destroyed their life. You'll notice it wasn't the riotous living that drove this man back to his father. It was the famine that did it. The Bible says that when the famine hit that land, he began to be in want. He began to hurt. He began to realize he had gone out and made bad choices and he destroyed his life. But when God stepped in, I believe God authored that famine. He controls everything. And allowed him to suffer the need that he suffered. It was then that he began to be in want. When God began to deal with him. So what are some of the things that he lost? Well, number one, he lost his family. We certainly, I didn't read the rest of the chapter, but the very next verse after the Bible says, uh, and he, now his, uh, his elder son was in the field, it says. And he came and drew nigh in the house, and he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, and because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry. We can see the rift with his brother. The brother had to deal with it every day. Perhaps the brother was the one that stayed and worked the fields and, and he could hear his father weeping in prayer at night for his other brother, for his son. He was the faithful one, but he resented his brother. And when his brother came home, he was angry. I want you to notice today that he lost his family. But he also lost his father. He said, but his father was always there. He was, but we have to admit this, there was division and there was distance between them. Like I said in my introduction, he couldn't pick up a phone, they couldn't FaceTime. The father was left to worry and be concerned about where his son might be. But I want you to notice the third thing, and this is important. I believe he lost his faith. The Bible says in verse 15, and he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him into his fields to feed swine and he would fain filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat and no man gave unto him. How many of you think he's discouraged? The Bible says that he began to be in want in verse 14. This famine came along and he was hungry and so he went and joined himself to a citizen of the country that had, had swine and he began to feed after the husks of those swine. It is likely there is more intent here than we normally talk about. I, I, would, I would have to believe or have to guess that the Lord Jesus Christ telling this parable 
to the Jewish people was talking about another Jew. And to the Jews, the swine run clean. Now, whether the prodigal was a Jew or not, the Jewish audience listening to this parable would say, Oh my, how far is a man fallen that he has to deal with swine? How, how terrible a life it must be. How, how, how unclean this man is because he had to touch swine. Not only that, he had to eat their leftovers as he picked up the husks behind them. No doubt it was discouraging. And people would look upon him as no hope of restoration. And his faith was tested. He said, how do you believe he lost his faith? Because of verse 17. And when he came to himself. That, that phrase implies that he had forgotten something. That he had set aside all thoughts of home. That he, he didn't dwell upon his father or his, his family or how good he had it. But one day... The light went on. One day he came to himself and said, my father has servants and food to spare. What am I doing? I just humble myself and go home. But for all that time, he had lost his faith. He had no hope. Do you know, isn't that what happens when we experience loss? When we lose a loved one to death, we often wonder if our hearts will ever heal. We wonder, will we ever get through it? Have you ever felt like that? I remember six months after dad died, I was working at the church and I was trying to fix something and I couldn't figure out how to do it. And I thought, just to pop my head, I'm going to just give dad a call. He'll know how to do it. And I went, oh Yeah. I wasn't grieving at that point anymore, perhaps, but just the reality of the change, the loss. And you wonder, is it ever going to get better? Have you ever been sick and thought, will I ever feel good again? That's, the devil. That's what the devil does, right? He kicks you while you're down. He piles on when you're not feeling well, when you're in grief and sorrow. He likes to, he likes to discourage and bring you to a place of discontent. And you wonder in your heart, will my heart ever heal? Will I ever feel right again? Will I ever get through this situation? When we lose a friendship, we wonder, will it ever be reconciled? Will it ever be the same? Will it ever be made right? And I think that this young man had lost hope. He lost his faith as the devil had blinded him to any hope of restoration. But one day, he came to himself. That is what he had lost, but I want you to think this morning about what he has found. Notice what the scripture says in verse 17. When he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father. And will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called. Have you ever, have you ever rehearsed something before you went into a meeting? 
You had to deal with a situation, maybe your kids or maybe somebody else at work, and you've just rehearsed it over and over. I'm going, here's what i got to say. It. And you've rehearsed it over. I imagine the whole time he's walking back from this faraway country, he's rehearsing these words. I will arise, and I will go to my father, and I'll say, Father, I, I, I'm, I'm no worthy longer to be called your son. Make me as one of thy servants. And he's just rehearsing what he's going to say, and he's getting it down pat, and he comes to the border of that country, to the end of that pathway, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, I'm in verse 20, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. The son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and no more worthy to be called thy son. And the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and robes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For thy, this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be married. I want to say this before I get into some subpoints. Number one, loss is based on our frailty. Loss is based on our frailty, but being found is based on the grace of God. We are lost because we're sinners. I I lose things every day. I've noticed the older I get, the quicker I lose things. I can literally, I can be working on a sermon, I can set my pen down, and I can look at my bottom and look back, my pen's gone. I mean, it was right there. You're all smiling at me, but you all do the same thing. You know it. You'll find it three weeks later under the couch. It rolled away or something, you know. That's just how it is. We, we know what it's like to experience loss. That's because of my frailty. But to be found is the grace of God. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. Found by the grace of God. And notice some things we see. Number one, he found compassion. When we return to the Heavenly Father, we find compassion. And that's what this is all a picture of, isn't it? The Lord Jesus Christ has given us a parable. He's giving us a a story with a heavenly purpose. He's given us an earthly story with a spiritual good. He's helping us understand that there's a heavenly father who loves us and shows compassion. The Bible says in verse 20, and but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. But I want you to notice something as we draw something else out of this passage. He found comfort. He found comfort. Notice verse 22, and this is important. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. Cody, would you come up here for a minute? For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Can you imagine the scene? The father and the son, they embrace. You can pretend. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and he weeps on his neck and he shows compassion. But he, the son begins into his speech. I'm no longer worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy servants. And the father says, go get a robe. And he takes a robe and he 
puts it upon his back. And he takes a ring and he puts it on his finger. Do you know what that, that is? Do you understand what that is? I never really thought about it before. I, I thought he's just, he's restoring his son. He's, he's just honoring him. He's, he's giving him back his robe and his ring that he used to wear. No, what he's doing is he's saying to all the servants, this is my, you don't do that for a servant. The servants didn't get to wear the robe or the ring. He's saying to everybody, this is my son. This is my son. He says, and go kill the fatty calf because this my son who is dead is now alive. And the young man, when he had that robe put on his shoulders, he probably began to weep. And that ring put on his finger. He begins, I'm unworthy. And when he heard his dad say, this is my son, it broke his heart. I want to say this, there's comfort through relationship. There's comfort through the relationship. Give me back. They will discipline me out of the church if I preach without a suit coat. There's comfort through relationship. Through everything that young man had lost, he was reminded that he was a son. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. Listen, the world could strip you of all your treasures tomorrow. Your health may leave your body, but they can never take away that you're a child of God. There's comfort in that relationship to know you're his child and that he will never leave you nor forsake you. Listen to what the scripture says about this relationship. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rat and thy staff, they comfort me. Psalm 119, this is my comfort in my affliction, for thy word hath quickened me. Let I pray thee thy merciful kindness before my comfort, according to thy word unto thy servant. The New Testament says, Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort. And as I read earlier today, and I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. To have a relationship with God is to have comfort. The comfort of relationship. To know that there's some things that never change. Isn't that what the father was saying to the son? Yeah, you messed up. Yeah, you went off and you spent everything you had. And by, and by the way, those scars remained. I don't have the time to read the rest of the passage, but the son, the, uh, the brother comes back and he's angry. And the father said to him, everything that I have is thine. His is gone. He's, he's spent it all. It's, it's gone. Everything that I have right now is yours. The only thing this young man has left is he's still my son. And even though he'd messed up, and even though he had lost so much, I'm so glad there's one thing that never changes.
that through my relationship with God, I'll always be his son. That'll never change. He said, how did all this take place? I want you to notice, and we're about done. Notice the steps the father and the son took to find this comfort. What did the son do, and what did the father do? What were the steps that were taken? He said, I need that. Here's, here's number one. The son came humbly. That's it. Notice what he says. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, and he did just that. I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. By the way, I don't know if you've ever noticed, he never finished his speech. He would rehearsed over and over in his mind, make me as one of thy servants. But as soon as he said, I'm no longer worthy to be called his son, his father interrupted him. He says, bring me a robe. Bring me a ring. Enough of this foolish talk. My son who is dead is alive. And he restored him. Because he came with a humble heart. He came with contrition. Keenly aware of his failures and sins. The servant related to the brother as the brother came back angry. He says, but as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. Found by grace. Here's the simple announcement when the brother came angry and he said to the servants, what is all this revelry about? What is the party? What was the music for? What's going on? And the servant said, simply said this, thy brother is come. He's come. It's just that simple. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The invitation is to whosoever will may come. If you want to know this comfort, come, come, come humbly. He came confessing his sin and he came and asked to be made a servant. But the point is he came. That's what the son did. He said, what did the father do? The father simply never changed. He was the same yesterday, today, and forever. The father that loved him as a three-year-old as a 10-year-old, as a 15-year-old, the father that wept as he saw him leave was the same father that loved him as he returned. He didn't have to do anything. He just loved him. and had compassion. And as a result, this young man was comforted. Now, our father is so much like that, isn't he? We mess up and we sin. We plead for help and forgiveness, and God embraces us again. Sometimes He chastens us, but that's just so we know we're His sons. That's what the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 7 that we know we're His children because He chastens us. 
Because he loves us. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. There are times that he embraces us and hugs us. There are times that you know this is true, that you get down on your face, say, God, forgive me for that sin. And an hour later, because of guilt and shame in your heart, you say, God, I, I need forgiveness for my sin. And he says, what sin are you talking about? I already forgave that an hour ago. It's under the blood. It's washed away. You're forgiven. And we have the comfort of a loving Heavenly Father who cares for us. I want to say to you this morning, you may have lost a lot in this life because of your choices, but you may have also lost in your life because of a famine in the land, circumstances out of your control, death of a loved one, an illness. I'm here to say no matter what the cause, there's a father who cares and he'll show compassion, and he'll comfort you. Father, we love you. Speak to our hearts, we pray. Help us. Thank you for the message of your word. Thank you for the application that we can see in this loving Heavenly Father. And I pray, Lord, that you speak to our hearts. There's some here today that might be hurting. Lord, there's some here today that perhaps, as we were reading the scripture, you were making application personally to their situation. Maybe there's somebody here lost a job. Maybe there's somebody who's just hurting over decisions that they've made or decisions their children or grandchildren have made. There's, there's people here that are hurting over the loss of a loved one. We've had so many funerals the last few months. Lord, there's somebody here that's hurting because a loved one is sick. They're sick. No matter what the circumstance, we know there's a God who cares. I pray that you just minister to them today and comfort them. Lord, we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Brother Tony, would you come and sing that song? Would you do that? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and me. Come home. Come home. The song was likely written about the prodigal son, about Luke 15. Come home. So once they preacher, I need to be safe today. I need to know the love of the Heavenly Father and I must come to Him today. We'd like to help you. Let me show you what the Bible says about eternal life through Jesus Christ. If you've never been saved, never been born again, we'd like to help you today. Would you slip up your hand? Nobody's looking around. We just want to pray. Is there one? I'm not sure. I'm saved. Is there others here today who say, Preacher, I'm hurting. Would you pray for me? I'm hurting. I need the comfort of God. Why don't we just slip up our hands just so we can remind one another to pray for one another. Nobody's looking around. 